Hello, everybody. This is Sean A. Boxdale, 10 Minutes of Truth. Uh, today, um, very honored, man. Got a steam guest today, man. Arthur Andrews, athlete. I would call you a workout guru, investor, <laughs> uh, community leader. You know what I'm saying? And uh, uh, it seems like a stand-up guy all around, man. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I see you got that boots on the ground shirt on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I had to come through. <laughs> I had to come through prepared, man. Drew yeah. <laughs> D. Got to show that love with his dude. Beautiful, beautiful, man. I appreciate that, man. Uh, before we get in, 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 into our talk, um, I'm going to throw out a, a, a couple of uh, quick words, man, so the audience can get to know you just a little better. You pick which one uh, 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 goes with you the best, all right? Okay, sounds good. All right, cool. Uh, New York or Florida? Both. <laughs> good train on drink champs. You would have had the drink. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I was. I, uh, I, I, I would say. I would say Florida. I would say Florida. Okay. 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 Uh, winter or summer? Summer. Hip hop or R and B? Hip hop. Ah. Uh, Bloomberg or Wall Street Journal? Bloomberg. Chat GPT or Google search? Google search. Mm, okay. Who's the smartest person you know? No my father was. He's passed now. My mom uh, my father. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it was so, for some reason I knew you was going to say we're going we're going to chop it up too. Um your childhood hero. My mom. Mm, okay. And last but not least, basketball or 5K run? Basketball. Easily, easily. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, a lot of people don't know uh, uh, me and King Arthur. This is the first time us meeting, uh, you know, kind of face to face. But we've been following each other on social media, on Instagram, man, probably since like 2018. You know what I'm saying? I think it's about 2018, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been, it's, 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 wow. It's, yeah, it's yeah, been we all, yeah, it's been yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We caught that mutual connection, of course, through, you know, um, Troy and Rashad off of uh, EYL, man. You know, we kind of seen their vision early. You know what I'm saying? We yeah. kind of saw that they was going to change early. You know what I'm saying? And whatnot, man. And so that's how we kind of, you know, uh, connected. So with that being said, man, let's let's get to know you a little bit better, King. Yeah. Um, so you're born and raised in Florida? No, uh, I was actually, uh, it's crazy. Everybody says New York, you know what I mean? I, I lived in New York for about a decade, but... Uh, I'm originally from Connecticut, okay. and so um, my my oh, father's wow. side of the family is from Connecticut. My mother's side of the family is from Florida, but when she was in high school, they moved to Connecticut. So I was born in Connecticut. Um, when I was eight, I moved down to Florida um, uh, with my grandmother for five years. So you know, from the time I was eight to mm -hmm. thirteen, during those formative years, I was here in Florida. Um, and like I said, okay. the majority of my family from my mother's side is from here, obviously. And then after that, I moved back to Connecticut. Um, I finished high school in Connecticut. And then uh, I went to college in D.C. at George Washington University. Um, and oh, then wow. I moved to New York when I started my professional career. And okay. So, okay. Yeah. After, after about uh, nine years in New York. I moved back to Florida uh, okay. to take care of my mother and my grandmother back in 2013. And so I've, I've been here ever okay. since. Okay. Okay. Uh, when you say professional career, what do you do professionally, brother? 
Uh, coming out of coming out of college, um, I studied finance and, and economics. Um, I started out mm -hmm. as a deposit broker, a jumbo deposit broker for um, CDFI and minority owned banks. And so that was basically me going around and raising deposits of one million and above for uh, these smaller banks with a particular focus on black owned banks. Um, so I did that for the first two years out of college. I was actually still in D.C. at the time. Um, and then so you got to figure this is around 2004 going into 2005. And, you know, Wall Street was was buzzing at the time. Um, I actually always wanted to go into investment banking. But at the time, trading uh, was 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 the uh, soup du jour, so to speak. And so uh, uh, one of my one of my uh, buddies more like a brother to me. Um, he was at Goldman Sachs and, you know, he was like, man, you got to get up here to New York. I had been going to New York on a, wow. on the weekends already. And so, uh, I went up right. there, you know, started networking and then, um, uh, started out, uh, as a assistant trader, uh, for one of the largest market makers of ETFs at the time, ETFs were what they weren't a new product, but they were just like starting to get mass acceptance. And so, uh, wow. oh, yeah, working on the American Stock Exchange, which doesn't exist anymore. This is back when you still had like the call and shout, you know what I mean? And then, right. Uh, right. excuse me. Yeah, then I moved over to one of the large French investment banks and uh, was working there uh, leading up and, and through the crash. Wow, man. Um, that's a lot to, to, to really unpack. And uh, we'll kind of delve there. Um, I kind of want to bring people up because like uh, if a person goes and researches you, they're not going to find a lot on, you know, online. Right. Um, but you've done some phenomenal things throughout your history. Uh, you know, at, at, like I, I've done my dive and the little bit of dive that I was able to do and pull from. Um, you're quite the athlete, though, King Arthur, quite the athlete, man. You know, so where did you how, first of all, how many siblings do you have? I have two brothers. I have two brothers, two, two younger brothers. brothers. Yeah. Okay, so you're the oldest of the siblings. Okay. Yeah. Um, so where did you get your athleticism from? Where you get your athleticism from? Um, I mean, my dad. My dad was an athlete. Uh, my dad, you know, was, was you know, mini giant, six eight, two forty. You know what I mean? Um, wow. He's from Hartford, Connecticut. You know, played track, uh, played basketball, and so. Um, you know, that's that's where I would say I get my natural athleticism and, you know, I'm six, seven as well. So, um, you know, I get my height from. But then, um, you know, growing up, everybody in my family, you know, played sports, you know, even when I was down here in Florida. You know, obviously football is big down here, but um, my, my my uncle on my mom's side was a big basketball player, um, you know, my older cousins. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was I was in it early. You know, I wasn't. In my family, we didn't really have like the the the, the people going hard, like yo, you gotta play ball and put the ball in your crib. Like it was never really that. My family was like, you know, go to school, you know, and then if you want to play sports, great. But you know, with my brothers, uh, particularly my brother uh, Austin, he's just a year year and eight months younger than me. We so we grew up together, and um, we just always had a love, you know, first just for having just for sports in general, playing kickball, you know, being outside, playing chase or whatever. And then, you know, later on in elementary school, going into middle school, you know, the, the, the love of basketball kicked in. 
And, um, you know, I had, I had my partner, so we was just, you know, going at it, uh, uh, you know, playing and, and it just, it's just stuck, man. You know, I was, I was out, I was out in the street, so to speak, you know what I mean? That's why I lo got developed my love for the game. Oh, wow. I, you know, and, and, and that, um, that brings me to, because like, uh, you saying you have a brother that's that, that kind of grew up with you right along with you. I see that he ball too and 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 whatnot um do you believe that most children uh to help with um uh organizing uh discipline and teamwork that they should play an organized sport yeah i mean i think that it's crazy this is something i speak on a lot now because i'm kind of i'm kind of torn where initially i would have i would have definitely kind of cliche like you know play sports it's basketball is like mm -hmm. life and you can learn all of these life skills. And that's definitely the case um, if you utilize it that way. And so I think that for a child, that's an easy way if they're interested in sports, if they're genuinely interested in the sport and 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 it's something that they take serious, then it, it is a it's, it is an outlet or a way for them to be able to learn a lot of these things in terms of teamwork, uh, uh, you know, leadership, sacrifice, so on and so forth. However, if it's not something that they're really passionate about, it's like anything else. Like you'll mm -hmm. just be there wasting your time. And so um, I'm a big advocate now that, uh, you know, I feel like a lot of our kids, not to say that they shouldn't play sports, because obviously you have the health benefits, so on and so forth. But the amount of time that they dedicate to it without the specific intention of developing those skills um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of our, sometimes you could, you could waste a lot of time because, you know, you could be dribbling all day just because you're out dribbling the basketball and shooting hoops and, and doing a lot of that doesn't mean you're developing leadership skills. You know, you could be on a team and if you're not learning how to be a good teammate, you could be learning how to be a bad teammate as well. You know what I mean? And so it's important that uh, the student and, and, and as well the educator, you know, whether it's the athlete and the coach, that they're intentional about these uh, more life life focused skills that they want to develop. Otherwise, you're just playing a sport. You know, you can you can learn you can learn team team building playing video games for that matter. You can learn team building yeah, <clears throat> in the classroom as well. You know, you can learn team building, learning how to cook. There's this lady I follow online. She got three kids every day to get out there and they and they cook in and. You know what I mean? And so, you know, they had to learn. And so I think it's important in that whatever the activity is, is something that the kid is passionate about, but then also um, that they're being encouraged and that the student is also very intentional about these other skills that they need to develop. They don't just develop because you're there on the team and because you're participating in the game. Absolutely. Um, I, I agree a hundred percent because like for myself, uh, my father went to prison when I was very young, right? So I didn't have a male figure that pushed me to really do anything. So, of course, I'm a smaller guy. So, you know, not having been guided in that in that direction, I didn't do any sports. So I didn't have any type of dis. You know, I'm really in the street. I ended up going to prison for 15 years. So once I got there, I actually um, I became Muslim while I was incarcerated and I also learned how to box, right, while okay. I was incarcerated. So those two things really taught me discipline, right? And I was, you know, later on in life. So that's one of the reasons that I asked that question because, um, you know, I, I, 
along with what you said, I believe if that's what's, you know, if if that's what's guided towards saying, hey, these are the skills that you can that you can learn, not just the athleticism, but saying, you know, I think that would help our young men and women coming through the ranks, you know, versus how we see them kind of out of control and not having any discipline. And they played sports. You know, yeah. uh, what's our guy named that uh, uh, Hernandez that played for the Patriots? You know, this guy is, a, you know, millionaire. And yeah, he was in the, the town right was, right, was right next strong. door. He was in the town right next door to me in Connecticut, in Bristol. You know what I mean? Like, he's a little younger than That's me, crazy. but like my brothers and my young homies, they all knew Aaron and his brothers. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Fast. I mean, there's a lot of that, though. I mean, at the end of the day, I always say when you uh, I, I mean, I, I focus on basketball, obviously, because that's that's the sport that I know the best. And I have the experience. I, I, I'm an active coach. Um, but the majority, the overwhelming people always talk about the kids who are going to the, the the rate that are, aren't going to go to college or go to the NBA. But I always say the majority of basketball players won't even start on their varsity basketball team. They won't. The, major right. the majority right. of them will be a, a bench player on their varsity basketball team. Like this is right. this is an actual right. actual fact. You know what I mean? And so, um, however, I think that a lot of those students um, are kind of overlooked because we're so focused on the elite player and so on and so forth. But I always say when you look at the bench players, like when you look at the players on a basketball team eight through fifteen. These are the players who really exhibit the life skills at the highest level that you're going to need when you move on in life, because these players are not going to play. So why are they there? If you're the eighth through the 15th man on your high school basketball team or you're on JV, you have to be at the gym early. It's expected of you. You you have to be the, the last one leaving the gym. It's expected of you. You have to sacrifice your personal desires for the team. You have to 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 see the bigger goal because you're not going to get in the game more often than not. You know what I mean? And so right. you're, 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 right. you're, you're, you're sacrificing your personal time for the greater goal. You know, you're, you, you're, you're putting in the work to help the elite players, so to speak, be able to perform at the higher level so that the team can win. And so it's these players that are at the bottom who actually exhibit the life skills at their highest level. And they're doing it for you know, middle school through through high school, eight years, they're doing this and they barely they barely touch the court. They get ridiculed for not playing in the game by their parents. They get ridiculed by their peers. And yet they're still expected to show up. You know, they're still expected to run the last sprint. Uh, they're still expected to, to, to clean up after the team. They do all of these things uh, in terms of sacrifice and and and. Uh, 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 my friend and I, we always talk about leadership as the submission of duty, not the elevation of power. And these are the kids that exhibit that mm. the most. However, we don't really reward them. And so when we talk about sports and how sports is a way to build team teamwork and to build these life skills, we tend to just focus on those players at the top who excel at the sport. We don't really reward those kids who are excelling at those life skills, because if we rewarded those kids who are excelling at those life skills, the kids eight through 15 would be getting scholarships to college, not because they're great at basketball, but because they're great at life. Wow. Wow. And that's a dynamic way 
to look at that, which uh, brings us to still talking about discipline, of course, um, a healthy way of 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 eating. Right. I've, I've, I've seen you and it seems like most of uh, your life you've had the discipline of what you place in your body, if I'm correct. Right. Well, I, I'll say this. Because of my my parents, you know what I mean. Like I said, a lot a lot of people that mm. you know, you know, I'm, I'm working out online, and you know, I got my shirt off, so on and so forth, and and so. But I always tell people, right. I'm fortunate, and it, and a lot of my physical makeup is genetic. You know, like I said, my dad was six mm. eight, in shape, slim dude. My mom was five ten, um, slim until she, you know, until she had kids. Um, and so that, that's, right. that's, you know, that's probably 80% of my, of, of, of what you see is my genetics. And so I was blessed mm. in that regard. Um, and then in addition to that, because of that, um, growing up, you know, I ate what I wanted, you know, because I was naturally skinny, mm. my metabolism, you know, I, I can right. eat, I can eat more than most people and go to sleep and, and wake up and that food is gone. You know what I mean? Like I'll lose weight right. just, 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 just sleeping just because, you know, that's just my genetic makeup. Yeah. And so as a result, I didn't really have a healthy eating uh, habits when I was growing up, even through college. I didn't, cause I just, because my natural makeup, I, it wasn't necessary. Now it's not to say that I wasn't exercising. I was definitely exercising obviously, but my eating habits, we're just like anybody else, if not worse, just because I could consume so much food and it wouldn't affect me. I wasn't going to get fat, so to speak. It wasn't until there were two things that happened. One, my mother got really sick, which is why I moved to Florida. My mother got diabetes and then um, she ended up having kidney failure. And so there was that. Um, and the reason why my mom was so sick was it because, you know, she wasn't a drug user. Um, my mom barely drank any alcohol. You know what I mean? She drank a, a Bacardi Breezer and, and be lean it. You know what I mean? She wasn't. So she wasn't that. But my mom ate lavishly. You know what I mean? And as a result, that was why she ended up getting sick. And so, one, when I moved down here, I'm experiencing that. I'm living with that. That's something that I'm dealing with, trying to trying to get her to adjust her eating habits then in addition to that, uh, a good friend of mine um, who I met once I moved to New York, uh, rest in peace, uh, Ali Moe, the great, great street ball, street baller from Harlem, Ali Moe. Um, right before yeah, I so moved down to Florida or shortly thereafter, Ali Moe ended up passing away. And Ali Moe was a workhorse. Like this guy was, even though he wasn't in the NBA, probably should have. Um, Ali Moe was always in shape. If you go talk to any of those guys at Harlem, Ali Moe was the guy working out, doing pull-ups, push-ups in the park. We're always in shape. Um, but Ali Moe had diabetes. And uh, I believe ultimately it was he ended up dying of a stroke as a result of, of his diabetes. And then in addition to that, there was another play, a big strip. Um, if you ever remember the, the Jay-Z, my man Big Strick told me finish your breakfast. Big Strick was another... Uh, yeah, street ball yeah, yeah, yeah. in New York. And, 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 and uh, Strick, I believe he died from a heart attack. And I remember Strick was a guy who was, you know, well in his 30s, 40s. You know, these guys are still out hooping and exercising. And so I was looking at it and I'm like, yo, wow, like, what's the connection? Like, what's going on here? 
And what I realized is that we all ate horribly, you know what I mean? Because we were exercising and because, you know, we more, most of us, we may, may look good physically on the outside, you know, it, 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 it blinded us to the fact that we were still killing ourselves on the inside. And these are the things that, that don't show mm. up to later, you know what I mean? And, and so while we, I always, uh, I always say this to my mom, we criticize the drug addicts because you can see a drug, you see the, the outward effects of a heroin addict, you see the swelling on the heroin addict, you can see the crackhead and you can see their body deteriorating and so on and so forth. Um, however, with, with, with eating, all of that deterioration is happening on the inside. And so if you're an athlete and you're able to stay in shape and look physically good, you don't, no one criticizes you for the fact that you eat the cheeseburger, so on and so forth, and that you're mm. consuming, you know, massive amounts of alcohol or whatever the case may be. And, um, you know, when I saw those two things combined with the fact, like I said, I was living with my mom, I really had, you know, I was basically 30 years old and I realized I was like, man, my mom was going to dialysis three days a week for four hours. And I was like, this can't be my life. I hate going to hospitals. And so that's really when I changed, I changed my life. Um, I stopped eating red meat uh, for a while, you know, every, every now and then I stopped uh, eating chicken as well. Um, I just up my consumption of I was like, I'm in Florida. There's a lot of fruit down here. Let me just let me just gorge myself on fruit and, and, right. and eating more vegetables. Right. And so I'm not I'm not perfect. You know what I mean? I still you know, I still struggle with it. Um, you know, um, I, I, I practice Ramadan every year. So I go through my, my fast, my, 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 my 30 my, right. my 30 day fast every year. I usually try to do a water fast at least once a month as well. Um, and then, you know, it's just about being conscious every day, making that decision like everybody else. Like I always say, a lot of us are addicted to the food that we're eating. And so the same way we can go to an alcoholic or we can go to a drug addict and tell them every day they got to make that decision not to use. We got to be able to look at ourselves in the mirror, or look at ourselves in the refrigerator and make the decision to, 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 to eat that was healthy and to pass up on those things that we know are ultimately killing us, you know. Nothing, man. Listen, um, and I'm going to ask this question because, it, you know, with the processed meats, the fast food, things of that nature with our youth. Right. We often say, oh, the music, the music, the music, the music. And, you know, that they're consuming. Right. But we're not looking at the foods because I know myself running around and even now not being disciplined and not having that discipline. It's exactly what you said. But that plays a major part on the thinking process Absolutely. as well. What we're putting into our bodies or not putting into our bodies. You know, so how has you you, you changing your eating habits? How has that helped restructure how you think? Um, like you said, it, at the end of the day, changing eating is a discipline. It's something that I every day have to make. The, I mean, I have the, I can sit here and you know, eat pizza every day or like, it's not like we don't have access to it, but it starts to become a discipline. And so that starts with your mind. I mean, it's cliche mind over body or mind over matter, whatever you want to say, but it starts with the mind. It starts with you thinking and making the decision, which is a thought to not do one thing and to do another thing. And so as a result, uh, part of my journey with Islam was I was in college and I mean, I wouldn't say I was alcoholic, but I was a binge drinker. Much like with my eating, I could consume a lot of liquor, wake up the next day and go to practice. You know what I mean? I, I didn't get hangovers and all of this other stuff. And so part of my journey with Islam is that I realized that I needed to implement my own discipline. And um, 
it wasn't there in high school. I went to an all boys boarding prep school, you know, so your day is extremely regimented. <laughs> and and also I had the discipline wow. of my mom that if I messed up that scholarship, I knew, you know what I mean? Like there was going to be a lot of pressure behind that. So once I got to college, that discipline was gone. I turned to Islam as a way to help uh, uh, reinitiate that discipline. And in Ramadan, yep. Ramadan was the first part of Islam that I really latched onto. It wasn't the theology necessarily. It was that discipline of the 30 days yep. of, of clearing your body yes. and, Yes. And 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 yes. people being yes, there right. and being like, hey man, how do you do it? And 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 you know, realizing that wow, once you if you could do this for a week, everything starts to change. Like the 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 growth, the 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 hunger pains go away, and everything. you start to think clearer, everything. and and your ideas are better, and yes, and and it doesn't even take as much discipline anymore because now it starts to become yep. like they say that be that that. The, the decision it's another becomes habit. habit. Yep. It becomes your it habit, becomes and your that habit. habit starts to become your way of life. You know what I mean? And Correct. and and then it becomes right. a day to day process. So as you said, the discipline is key. But just real quick to bring it back to 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 the kids, uh, a big part of the reason why the kids aren't able to do it, and I see this with the kids that I train with the parents, and the, so I always tell the parents, listen, your kids got to eat right, you know, and. The, the lack of discipline isn't with the kids. The lack of discipline is with the parents. Because at the end of the day, oh, most kids go. most kids aren't buying, buying groceries. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're not. You know what I mean? And so usually the kids aren't eating well because the parents aren't eating well. And so mm. I'll, I can put that on the kid and say, you have to eat right. But then the parent would be at home. And because the parent wants, you know, Chick-fil-A. Uh, you know, the kid ends up getting Chick-fil-A because the parent doesn't want to have to go get the, the, the vegetables, so on and so forth. And so oh. I'm all I'm, I'm very big on when, when I when I speak about these kids and the struggles that they're going to is, is to basically say, hey, listen, it starts with the adults. The kids are if the kids aren't if, if I if the generation below us, so to speak, isn't doing well, it's not a reflection on them. It's a reflection on us. Because their discipline Absolutely. is a reflection of the discipline that we implement. You know, like that's it. That's where that's where it starts. We talk about in basketball, the kids aren't in the parks. The kids are they don't go to the parks and play like they used to. But that's because when we were growing up, our uncles and our fathers, they were in the park. And so that's why we were there and we were watching them. But when I, when I go to the park now, there aren't any older people at the park. So that's why the kids aren't there. Because all of the older guys are at LA Fitness <laughs> playing. And so that's what the kids feel like they need to be. They need to be in the, they want to be in the gym as well. And so when you see lack of discipline in the kids around you, start and look at yourself and make sure that you're disciplining yourself yeah. and speak to the adults that are around them and make sure those adults around them are disciplining themselves. Otherwise, the kids simply won't do it because who are they going to be looking to for that role model? Who are they going to look to for that standard? If 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 the adults around them aren't doing it and 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 uh, uh, initiating that discipline, so the students know what they need to do moving forward. I mean that that that's that's beautiful, man. Because you touched on something I was going to ask. Um, congratulations, you are um uh your father, right? Yeah. I see your son. I see such a yeah yeah right. Yeah. You know, just uh, just how many turn one. You have for I I, oh, I, I wow. one son I one I got one son and and uh my lady she has a daughter as well so you know that's my that's my that's my extra child absolutely I have three uh children um 
I have two daughters and a son. Um, uh, my my son, who is the youngest, is five years old. And what you just said is is key because when we talk about, you know, I'm 47. And, 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 you know, I had some old school principles, like you saying, like, you know, being in the park and having, you know, grandparents and stuff like that, that I ran around and, and soaked up their information and knowledge. Some things were some principles were instilled in me um, because of that. So I feel like, the, you know, for the children to have those, they got to see it versus us just telling it to them. They really got to see it. I saw the picture the other day, man. I thought it was beautiful. You were, you know, you're on the couch with the computer and your son, you know what I'm saying? is on the floor, yeah. you know, and I'm like, you know, because I just put a picture up with me and my son. And uh, he, 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 he was like this king. He said. Hey, um, you know, my neck hurting, dad. I don't feel like going to school. Right. So I'm like, nah, you know, he was like, so he hit me with the, but I learned more from you than when I'm at school. Right? So I, was like, I can't deny that. But you're going to go back Monday. You're going to go back yeah, Monday. Exactly. You, can chill you can chill today. Right. So, you know, I brought him in because I have a printing business, you know, so I brought yep. him in the lab, man. So I think that that is uh, direly important. So, as a father instilling that, what's one of the, the 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 principles that your father instilled in you that you take with you today, bro? Man, my dad, my dad used to always he my dad was big on you got to make your own decisions. Like from early on, when I was a kid, my dad used to say, "Hey, listen, you're gonna be a man." Obviously, I was the oldest son. You know, um, him and my mother weren't together. They they always had a cordial relationship, but they weren't together. But my dad uh, still was raising me, you know what I mean? And so one of the things he used to say, as a man, you can do whatever you want. Like, if you want to lay in the middle of the street and do nothing, absolutely, you can go do that. You know what I mean? And But you got to just be willing to live with the consequences and the benefits of your actions, you know? And he's like, no matter what the decision that you make, as long as you in your heart, and when you lay down, you are content with the consequences and benefits of what you've done. He was like, you'll be able to sleep well at night. And good or bad, you know what I mean? He was like, your decisions, whether they're good or bad, they're going to vary in the eye of the beholder. There's some people who are going to look at your decisions and say those are great ones. There's some people who are going to look at your decisions and say that they're bad ones. And their point of view on life is going to you know, influence how they view your decisions. But at the end of the day, you're the one who's going to have to live with those consequences. And so like that was one of the main things that my dad, you know, you know, put on me. It was that and be a gentleman. Those are the two things. Live with be content with the consequences and benefits of your actions and be a gentleman. Those are the two two, uh, uh, I would say, pillars that my dad constantly repeated to me all of the time. And uh, more often than not, um, when I apply those two things, I, I generally end up with 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 uh, in the long run, I end up with good results. We talk about long term investing. You know, these are these are things. These are decisions and, and actions that in the short run, there may be some pain. But as long as you do them for the long run, the the, the investment always paid off for me. Oh, man, that's beautiful, man. And it's and it's so true because that's how I look at things, um, you know, as from an investing standpoint, you know, investing in good health, investing in education, investing in financial literacy, investing in family. You know, when you change the the uh, the vocabulary that we use around things, man, it means it means a lot, you know, especially with the youth, because we believe, you know, with boots on the ground, our particular organization that. You have to be able to know the condition of a people before you can teach them. And you got to reach them right where they at. 
You know what I'm saying? So we have to know their language before we can teach them, right? Um, with that being said, man, uh, tell us about uh, ConnectiveInc.org, man. Yeah, man. Connective is a nonprofit organization. I started with uh, with uh, my brothers and my brothers from another mother, um, my, my partner, Ian Thomas Minor, um, my, my, my buddy, uh, James Jennings. James, James was the actual founder of the organization. Uh, James and I were uh, roommates in high school. And then uh, we were all in New York City. Uh, James and Ian uh, were working um, in the educational system, James, uh, both as deans. And, uh, you know, we were, you know, just basically I was on Wall Street at the time. You know, I used to always say, yo, kudos to you guys working with the kids because I don't want nothing. I can't be out there with the kids in the school. Like that was my mindset, you know, like, you know, I, I'll pull up on them in the park, but I'm not going to these schools, man. Like I was in my okay. 20s. I didn't want nothing to do with no kids in my 20s, to be honest, you know, and so. Right. Um, but I always respected them because I, they were doing, they were actively doing the things and they were the guys doing what we had growing up, you know, being those role models. And, um, it was crazy. I was, uh, shortly at, it was after the crash. Um, I had lost, you know, pretty much all of my bread in New York, all the money I had made, you know, in, in, during the run up, I lost it in the rundown. Um, but, um, we started a basketball tournament uh, up in Martha's Vineyard. I, uh, my buddies used to go, always go to the vineyard for the summer. And so I was like, man, let's do this tournament. And we added a youth camp, a free youth camp component. And that kind of like started it. You know, it was really just us, you know, just wanting to do something for the kids. And then uh, James, like I said, formalized the organization, I think, in 2015. Um, he got a grant from General Electric, I believe. And then really what it was, it was... We've, we've always been trying to get away from just basketball. It was basically, like you said, meeting the kids where they are, uh, starting with their passion, like whatever it was they were passionate about, whether, whether it was school, um, sports. Like I said, most kids, like, most kids don't care about sports. Like that's the ironic thing about it, especially when we talk about our people. Um, you know, we, we tend to focus on the kids who, who want to dedicate so much time to sports. Um, but if you focus just on them, you, you realize you miss a lot of kids who don't care about sports who are just as lost. You know what I mean? And so whether it was music or whatever it was, meeting them in their passion and, and once again, being intentional about uh, teaching them life skills to be what we would say was the functional adult. And so we had our three pillars, which were hyper focus, um, telling the kids like you want to be really focused in on your passion. Like you got to lock in on something, even if for, we always say for short amount of time, be able to lock in and really be dedicated and disciplined. Um, communication under duress, which is the se second pillar, being able to communicate your passion and or your goal to people when you're not in the best situations. Obviously we were in New York. This is during a time of stop and frisk. You know what I mean? Where you walking down the street, you get jacked up and for no reason, and um, so, you know, we were, and uh, we also had like the gang database. And so uh, our, our kids were under pressure with the cops in, in, in New York at the time. And so communication and the, the rest was big for us because we saw a lot of our kids who weren't necessarily criminals or bad kids at all. But because of the climate of the times, they were being put into situations where, you know, they were getting locked up, not because they were doing anything wrong, but just because of the fear or the frustration or inability to 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 com clearly communicate in those types of situations, they were getting locked up and or worse. 
you know? And so communication under duress became a big deal. Now that you're hyper-focused, you need to be able to lock in and have emotional intelligence, be able to calm yourself down, be able to read the person on the other side. Is this person somebody that's worked up? Is this somebody who has your, your, your best interest at heart or not? And then be able to communicate in the most effective way so that you get the end result that you want. Not just so you can get your, your, get your, uh, your, your rocks off, so to speak, but you get the, end, the goal that you want. And then um, ultimately resilience. That's our third pillar. Um, and it's actually the pillar we like to lead with, uh, particularly with, the, with, with, you know, kids in our community, because we like to say you've already been resilient in some way, shape or form in your life because you're here. You know, uh, at the end of the day, if you're alive and you're breathing, you've already been through something and you've made it through because you're still alive and you're still breathing to be able to have this conversation. And so you've been resilient. Tap into that resilience that you may not have realized that you've had in the past and now apply it to these new things and these new skills that we're trying to teach you so that you can ultimately get to your goal. So hyper-focus, communication under, under duress, uh, and, and, and resilience are our three pillars. And then uh, from there, you know, like we've, you know, just like a lot of these nonprofits, we do a lot of uh, after-school, before-school, uh, mm -hmm. summer work programs that we manage. Um, you know, we, we, we partner with uh, uh, both corporate partners. Uh, we've done a lot of work. Um, with the uh, penal system. Um, we ran an MBA program at Rikers Island for a few years. Um, we've provided wow. curriculum um, for um, uh, Horizons, which is uh, Rikers Island's uh, uh, youth offender like school. And so we've provided some curriculum and done a lot of work with those kids. We're in about three schools in New York. Um, you know, we do some work down here in Florida, Connecticut. Uh, we got partner out in L.A., uh, the Right Way Foundation. They focus on uh, uh, youth offenders and emancipated minors. So these are homeless youth, homeless youth. Um, and so, you know, like much much like you say, boots on the ground, like I, I, one of our tenants is, you know, we're ground zero with the work. You know, we get down there. We want to meet with the kids. We don't want to talk to a bunch of adults all day. We don't want to sit here and talk about theories and and, and, and yep. you know, just be off in the clouds, you know, how smart you are. That doesn't help these kids. Like, these kids need to see somebody. They need somebody to know that somebody cares. And they need somebody to be there and guide them through it. And there's no other way for you to do it other than to put the time in and, 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 and work with them. You know what I mean? And so, you know, shout out to my man, Ian Thomas Minor. He's, he's our executive director. He's really the engine. Uh, behind this, uh, my mm. brother Andre Clark. He's my younger brother. Uh, we call him Mr. Reliable. You know what I mean. Whatever, whatever we need to get done, he executes on it. Yeah. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I mean, it's a lot. There's there's a lot of people who I'm not naming right now, man. But I, I you know, if anyone can go to our webpage or go to our Instagram, uh, check it out and and see the see the work that we're doing, man. It's it's, it's extensive. And I'll just leave with this. Um, the kids who have gone through our program are now the ones running our program. You know what I mean? That's a big uh, part of it. For them. They're the ones coming back. They're giving back. Uh, my brother, Andre, he was a, he was in high school. He's he's a, 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 a instrumental. He went through the program. He went through all of the stuff when we were grinding through. And now he's uh, he was a big Apple teacher in New York. So, you know, that's like one of the teacher year awards in New York as a math teacher. Uh, like I said, he's the COO basically of our organization now. 
Um, my guy Maurice, he's he's uh, working in the school system now. And so just to see like all of the kids who have gone through the program and are now have turned right back around and in their own way, you know, they're implementing these same pillars with the kids that they're coming in touch with, both their own and other kids out in the community, man. Like, uh, you know, Connective has, has been a blessing. It's been a blessing to me, man. It's changed, it's, it changed my life. And um, I, I, I'm just grateful that I've been able to uh, help some of these kids out in, in whatever way that I could. I mean, that's that's phenomenal, man, because uh, we hold, you know, those same principles uh, um, because we believe that, you know, we got to bridge the gap. I'm, I'm big on justice reform because of, of course, me being incarcerated, coming from the streets and understanding the condition of these kids, man, like you said, and really being boots on the ground. That's what they need. And uh, bridging the gap, man, between that community, the youth and law enforcement, because that's why we work with law enforcement the way we do, because they need to know how to communicate with us and 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 we need to know um, how to communicate with them. You know what I'm saying? So uh, that's huge, man. And relationships, we already know. I say this all the time, uh, King Arthur, the true wealth is in the relationships that we form and that we cultivate. Right. Um, so with that being said. Um, you formulated a great relationship with them brothers, man, over at EYL. And you did something um, that I really applaud and I congratulate, man. You hit the uh, in, in InvestFest platform um, and you had a, uh, a an all-star panel, brother. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You had uh, uh, Camilla Moore, uh, Congressman Jamal Bowman, and the legendary attorney Benjamin Crump, man. So... Um, and it was on reparations. So before, uh, you know, I ask you about that. I know myself when I put together, like you're talking about connected, um, when it when it's time to put um, a function or something uh, at length together, a lot of people will see the finished product and they'll think, oh, yeah, that's cool. And they'll think that it's easy because they see the finished product. How does um, uh, uh, something like that even come together to even talk about reparations on an invest fest, bro? Man, we talk about long-term investing. And uh, first shout out to Troy, Rashad, Michael, Ab, MG. Uh, shout out to all of those guys. You know what I mean? They're always showing me love, shouting me out. Um, and, you know, shout out to them for just putting together the platform. Uh, but long-term investing, like you said, like I came across EYL, I think Rashad's page at first, probably back in like late 2018. Um, they launched uh, EYL when they launched the podcast. Um, I was actually in France uh, training one of my uh, basketball clients. She was over in France. And so I was uh, that January when they launched. I was there. I wasn't in Paris. I was in the middle of nowhere, France. And so uh, the podcast, I, I, I locked in. I locked in. I was watch, listening to it every every week. I'm watching the post. And um, when I got back to the States, um, I was very intentional. I saw what the guys was do were doing. Um, obviously, I was a brother coming out of finance. And um, a big thing that I was trying to do when I was in New York was to speak to the brothers in Harlem, the guys on the street. Like, man, you guys got to tap into what's going on in, in high finance. Like, they're, what they're doing down there isn't much different than what you're doing up here in the streets. They, You know, it's just that their thing is legal. You know what I mean? And so... But um, and some 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 people took heed, but many of them didn't. And so when I saw uh, Troy and Rashad, what they were doing and I saw how the community was latching on to it, um, I remember just telling I was like, yo, these guys got it. Like they figured 
they figured out the formula to, 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 to actually they get the done. Code. <laughs> no doubt. And so, you know, COVID hit that next year and I was very intentional. People used to always ask me, hey, you know, this is at the time when the stock market is blowing up and everybody's trading options. And I used to always say the, the company I'm investing in is, is earn your leisure. Um, a lot of people think that, you know, I knew Troy and Rashad from the beginning. I didn't. I was a fan of the show, much like everyone else. Um, I joined EYLU um, during when during COVID and like early in COVID in March of 2020. And um, I invested my time in the community. I wanted to, to meet the other people who were there who were trying to learn. Uh, I was there trying to be an active learner myself at the time. I was trying to really dive into real estate. I wanted to expand my relationship in real estate. MG was doing the, uh, the, 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 the market breakdowns. And so, you know, I was tapped in and, um, they had the book club. They used to have the, they used to have the weekly book club and in the book club, I would go in there and luckily it was uh, the first, first like four or five weeks. It was on a topic that, you know. Uh, you know, I consider myself more or less an expert in, which is the great financial crisis. I lived it. Mm. Um, I studied it intently. Like I said, I'm, I'm, an, I'm an economist by trade. So I studied it from from that mindset and I just reading the articles. And so I was very well versed. And so in the book club, once again, investing my time, I was there and, you know, people had a bunch of questions. I was willing to you know, answer as much as I could and contribute to the community the best way I could. And uh, Troy reached out to me, I think, after the first or second time in a book club and it was just show love. Like, bro, I appreciate you pulling up. Appreciate you helping us out with the book club. You know what I mean? And so from there, I just continued that, continued to pour in, shooting it, answering questions, posting, you know, just just investing my time. You know, we always talk about what's our most valuable asset. Time is our most valuable asset. Next, is that not health? You know, I think they're, 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 they're correlated. Um, and so I invested my most valuable asset into EYL. And as a result, I developed a genuine relationship with those guys. And so fast forward to your point, when it came around to InvestFest, they were planning for InvestFest. Rashad reached out to me, you know, I had been on Market Mondays a few times. I always speak um, um, from the point of view of our community, being in the black community here in the United States. Um, so whether it's about economics or politics, it's always from our point of view. And, um, so as a result, you know, he reached out to me and said, Hey brother, you know, we're putting together the panel. We would love for you to, to, to moderate the panel. You know, it wasn't something that I was seeking. It wasn't something that, you know, I was, you know, how do I get on the panel? And it was none of that. You know, the brother reached out, not because I was trying to get there. He reached out because of the time that I invested in, in into that community and the way I invested my time in the information that I contributed. And as a result, as a result, the relationship. as a result, the genuine relationship was born and, and the end, you know, I guess the end goal or the, the end payoff was, you know, being able to be on that stage, you know what I mean? And so while it wasn't something that I was intending to do, I was very grateful for it. And it was it was right up my, you know, the reparations, you know, talking about our community. Um, obviously, you had like you said, you had some heavy hitters up there. You know what I mean? Um, all very, very knowledgeable. And then after that was just more prep. You know, I was I was very aware of all three of those individuals. 
Um, I, I went in, I, I dove in and studied more, more about their career and more about their, their points of view and what they were con contributing to the community and specifically uh, towards the uh, 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 fight for reparations. Uh, made sure I was prepared and then, you know, threw on my suit, got on the stage and, you know, they, they, sure. you know, for the most sure. part, they were able to carry it. You know what I mean? I just, I just had to stay out of the way. Like I always say, you know what I mean? Like make, put the, put the, put the plan in action. And if you can stay out of the way, chances are, you know, things can go off without a hitch as long as you got a good team. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. Um, so to talk about reparations, um, to your knowledge, has America ever paid out reparations before? Uh, yeah, you know, I, it's the, so there's a the, the thing with reparations is that particularly when we talk about it from from the black community, part of the okay. the miseducation is that hmm. reparations is kind of always discussed as this mass payout that we should or should not get from the United States government. Mm -hmm. Whereas reparations from other, to other communities rarely happen because there's just this incident that happens and then, you know, everybody just gets, you know, paid, cut a check. Reparations are very intentional, legal processes. It's much like, it's very much like a lawsuit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. There's usually... Um, it's not everybody in the Native American community got together and was all on the same page or everyone in the Jewish community got together and linked arms and marched down to Washington and said, cut us a check. That's that's not how it happened. Same thing with the Japanese. It wasn't a mass movement for reparations. What it was is you usually have uh, 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 much like uh, uh that line of Elijah, Elijah Muhammad would say, usually have a dedicated six to eight people who get together, usually attorneys. They understand the legal process. They formulate a plan. They do the research on, on what happened. Uh, uh, they, they, they devise a case. They identify a very specific entity that they want to seek a payout from, whether that's a business, a government, a piece of the government, so on and so forth. And then they, you know, it becomes a, very much a very illegal process that they go through. And so, yes, reparations has been paid out to other organ, other groups, but it wasn't this mass movement that got it done. There's usually, like I said, a group mm -hmm. of people who go in and then they get reparations, usually for a very specific subset of a group. And so not every Native American just got a reparations. Native Americans got, you know, the, 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 the reservation, so on and so forth. But not everyone just necessarily got cut a check. They were very intentional. There was subsets. Not every Jew just got a check because of, uh, uh, um, um, I'm having a brain fart right now, uh, uh, because of what happened during World War II. You know what I mean? It was very specific subsets. There's a uh, a podcast I listened to. Um, young lady's name uh, slips me right now, but she helped lead uh, the uh, the case with Georgetown. Actually, I don't know if you've seen Georgetown actually just agreed to actually cut some checks uh, to the families right. um, um, in the case uh, in, in their particular case. But she was speaking about. Uh, some reparations that were paid to a subset of the Jewish community. 
And what it was is there were a couple Jewish attorneys who their families uh, were in France. They weren't in Germany. They were in France. And they were their families had been transported using um, the infrastructure of France and some companies there in France. And so they went, they formulated a case, and they got reparations specifically for their families and these French Jewish people who part who were uh, accosted in that specific case. It had nothing to do. Like if you were a Jew in Germany, you weren't going to get reparations as a piece of this case. You see what I'm saying? Mm. And so I think that with our people, part of the reason why we haven't been effective is because until recently, there hasn't been very specific cases in terms of how we've attached it. We just had this kind of broad thing of slavery happened. And then it's like, cut a check to all of the black people. But that becomes very difficult because it gets into who's who's black, who should get a check, who was enslaved, right. who was here, who was not here. And so as a result of that confusion, it becomes very easy for the powers that be to say, hey, we would love to cut a check, but we don't know who to cut it to. You know what I mean? Like, uh, what are we, cut, what are we right, cutting right. this for? Where uh, you have the situation now, uh, hold on one second, gotta plug my computer in so we don't lose power. Yeah, where you have like more and she goes and she does the California case where she was very broad in terms of the information that she she got. The case that they presented was specifically about the atrocities that happened in California. And they're presenting it mm. to the California legis legislature. And these are the specific cases that happened, much like with Georgetown. Georgetown wasn't for every slave that was under the Jesuit system. It was these 200 or so yep. families that were sold by Georgetown to basically fund what is now, what we now know as Georgetown University. And they uh, presented, they built a case around that specific atrocity around those families. Initially, the result was, you know, they got some favorable uh, 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 admissions into the school. And then now, ultimately, they got this, you know, billion dollar a uh, pot of money that will be cut to these families, uh, I guess, over some subset of years. But they were able to win because they were highly specific in what they were trying to go to. And so I think now, um, as we move forward, uh, I mean, it's not going to be easy, but I think it's important that we not be lazy in our our fight for reparations. We can't just sit back and say we deserve reparations because something bad. We have to go out and be willing to do the work. Um, not to say that we don't deserve them. Uh, like I said, not to say that it's going to be easy, but it's going to take that same work. It's going to take this just as much struggle as we went through that as slaves to, to, to deserve these reparations is going to probably take just as much work on our part to ultimately get those reparations. And so that's why it's kudos to people like Camilla Moore, Attorney Crump, uh, as well as Congressman Bowman, because they're doing the highly specific work and building the highly specific cases. Uh, there's another brother I want to shout out, uh, Attorney DeMario. He's uh, he's like one of the lead attorneys for the uh, trying to get reparations out in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, for uh, the Black Wall Street case. Um, yeah. There's another attorney there trying to get reparations for uh, community um, in uh, in California. Uh, I, I can't remember the name of the town right now, 
Um, but very specific yeah. cases, they're out there and they're doing the work, they're doing the research. And this is the stuff that takes time. You can't just get on right. here, get on Instagram, go on TV yep. and just talk about it. You have to right. go and do the research. You have to uh, do the financial, pull the financial records because a lot of this stuff is there. And that's what they don't want us to know. They, they don't want us to do the work. They want us to just sit on soapboxes and just talk and talk and talk and talk as opposed to doing that research. And so I would say for anybody, if you really want to go look at those, the California uh, task force on reparations, go read that report that Camilla Moore and her team put together. It is very detailed. It is very detailed. Mm. And if, if the fight for reparations is something that you're serious, serious about, then you will go and you will try to find specific instances like that and be willing to invest more than anything, the time, that it takes yeah. to be able to get this done. This is more so a thing about time. A lot of us right now are so caught up in how we can get uh, startup capital and money, and we're forgetting about our main, the main source of capital, which is one, our health, which then provides us the time, which is, a, which is that investment that we can put in to actually get these things done, be it reparations or anything else. You know, Man, thank you so much for that breakdown. First and foremost, uh, King Arthur, man. Um, with that being said, how important is voting? Because November 7th is coming up. And for myself, okay, um, I lost my right to, to vote before I even gained the right to vote, meaning that I had caught a felony before 18 years old. But also... Because of my ignorance, because of my ignorance, all my vote don't count anyway. I remember sitting back, I'm in prison and I had been there like 10 years almost. And, you know, I still kind of had that same, you know, I was looking at, you know, uh, 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 more of the, the high, uh, hierarchy of a presidency. And I really started looking more at the local levels. I'm from, a you know, a, a rural county, a small rural county. So I started looking more at that. And then it just hit me one day, King. I said, if 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 voting didn't count out of all of the constitutional things they could have taken from me, they took my right to vote, bear arms and hold a, pol a, 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 a office, political office. Right. And I started, I said, well, if they knew that they was going to Jimmy rig it, then it wouldn't have mattered to take that. So I really started to look at, you know what I'm saying, voting and more so on the local level. Can you speak to that, man, especially our youth, um, about how important, because as we spoke about, you know, uh, the educational boards, you know, um, uh, school boards uh, and, and electing people that, you know, that's going to deal with our children's nutrition, that's going to deal with our finances and our budgets, you know, in these towns and cities um, and reparations or things of that nature, man. How important is it to know who we're voting for and to vote? Uh, yeah. Wow. So to that first point, you said knowing who you voting, who you're voting for. I always say, uh, you know, when somebody's initially running, it's hard to judge. You can only judge them if they've never been in political office before. You can only judge them based off of what they're saying, maybe what they've already done in their community. But once someone's in office, most of the time, that's who you're dealing with. You're dealing with incumbents, particularly now with the, with the older political uh, group who doesn't want to leave. You have to go and look at their voting yep. record. I don't care what they're saying end of the day, you can go look at their voting record and see what they were willing to vote yes on and what they were willing to vote no on. And if they weren't willing to vote yes mm. on those things that benefited you 
and willing to vote no against those things that uh, are detrimental to you, doesn't matter what they say. They're against you. Doesn't matter how good of a person they are. They are against you. And so it's not to say that they're a bad person. It's not to say that they don't have good intentions in terms of how they feel. But for whatever reason, often because of money, they're voting other ways. That's what you have to look at in terms of first knowing your politician. And so once someone's in office, you don't have to you don't have to listen to them speak anymore. Really, you can just go look at their voting record and it's right there. That's to tell you everything about which way you should vote with this person. Now, in terms of actually voting, I, I say this and 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 there's a lady I'm going to refer everyone to. If you're not familiar, Teslin Figaro. She's online. She speaks on the uh, Breakfast Club. She does like a morning wrap up on the Breakfast Club, usually about politics. Um, she's uh, also has a podcast. Um, I can't remember the name of the podcast right now, but it's on the Black Effect Network with with, with uh, uh, Charlemagne yeah. the God, so on and so forth. But Teslin, but Teslin, Teslin is a beast when it comes to this political yeah. stuff. Killer uh, Mike is always shouting her out, and she always talks about much like I was saying with the reparations thing. This isn't about like these massive mass movements where you're gonna have all of a sudden everybody's gonna show up to vote. Most people don't vote. That's white, black, Hispanic. Most yeah. people don't vote. And so what it becomes, it's the voters on the margin. That's why the votes are important because so many of these elections, especially the local ones, the ones that affect you the most, they're being decided by a handful of votes. They're being decided by 10 votes, 100 votes. And so it's not that you have to get everybody to vote but just like you said to the younger kids a lot of these younger kids don't realize how powerful they are because if the local football team all showed up and voted you could have swung the vote you could have had a different sheriff because Correct. the football team showed up not because everybody's parents but just the 18 year old football players 20 of them showed up and decided to vote they win and so it's about once again doing the knowledge to what's going on you, if you just make it very vague and just say, go out and vote. And I think it's hard to motivate people because they are, uh, people have been kind of, you know, it's, you know, people feel like, yo, what is my vote really worth? They don't really see it. And so you have to be intentional. You need to show them those numbers. Don't just make it a vague thing, show up and vote, show them, Hey, listen, man, we need 20 people because that's what they're doing in, in the, in these higher level political organizations, so on and so forth. And then the other thing I'll, I'll say this is, if you're not voting, the other piece is that you got to invest. You got to put up the money, man. Like you can get out here and you can go out there and vote. But more than anything, what these people are doing, these high level political organizations, is that they're raising money. And that money they use to market. And that marketing is what drives and sways people's opinions and are able to get people out to vote for for whatever the cause or the person, so on and so forth. So if you're not voting, one of the ways that you can contribute is that you can put up that money. People always say you want stuff. It's like put your money where your mouth is. You know what I mean? And, and that's another way that you can influence. If you don't want to vote for a, a particular candidate, but you can go and you can raise, you know, especially in a local election, if you can raise $10,000, guess what? You get a seat at the table. You get to go to that person and they're right. going to listen to you now. And you're going to be, hey, listen, man, I don't want you to do that. I want you to, and I want you to vote this way. 
And because, and that's what it is. And you don't have to, you personally may not have to have a, may not have voted on anything. You may not have voted on that person, but because you're the bag, you're able to provide the funding that they're able to use and campaign on. You're now able to go and speak to these uh, people in the uh, uh, school boards. You're able to go speak to these people in the state legislatures and have influence with them and, and at the level where it really matters when they're voting on these things. Because those are the people that they ultimately listen to. Even if you get them voted in, you can go and you can vote for somebody. But if somebody on the other side has gave that person some money, they're going to they're going to vote on the legislation based on the way the money wants them to vote on that legislation. They're not going to vote on that legislation based on the way the voters wanted them to vote on the legislation. So it's important to understand that, one, your voting is important at the margin. You need to know where the numbers are and, and, and how you can contribute. And especially at the local level, you'd be surprised how few votes it takes how few votes it takes. Like you could go and probably get 20, 18 year olds and, 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 and I don't want to say, That's but real. probably take them to Chick-fil-A and then take them to go vote and, 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 sway, oh, and sway, and sway the election. You know what I mean? Honestly. Um, and then in yeah. addition to that, yeah. you know, get out here and start raising that money, man. The same way you out here, you're investing in stocks and bonds and all of this other stuff. If you want to invest in the, in your, in your, in your, uh, in your your community and and in your, in the political climate, you know, start start raising that money for these can for these candidates and start telling these candidates what to do. You don't have to be a millionaire in order to do that. You know, if you can get to people, if people won't, aren't willing to vote, but you're able to 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 compile enough money together, where you're able to have some influence, you become just as influential uh, uh, as the person who's in office, if not more. For sure. Um- King Arthur, with that being said, everybody, uh, please get out, you know, and 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 like King Arthur said, become knowledgeable. The more the the knowledge is the freedom where you'll get the freedom from. Because if you get enough knowledge and you get the proper knowledge, you can become financially free. You can become educated to become, you know, a a a a a a a a fixture in the community, like he was saying, whether it's from the bag, voting, getting into politics, whatever it is. Um, you will you will have that information to know how to move throughout the community. King Arthur, man, listen, man, this has been an exceptional interview. Uh, thank you so much, man, for bracing us, man, with your uh, your presence, your information. Um, I look to see some great things, man, coming from Connective, coming from you. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, in the in the very near future, we'll be able to collaborate. And uh, because we understand what partnerships and collaborations do, you know what I'm saying? As far as the advancement, you know, especially when it comes from a, a, a great intention, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and for moving towards the future of our youth, man, and our communities. Man, thank you so much, brother, for being here. Before we leave, um, tell the people how they can get in touch with you if they want to donate uh, to uh, uh, um, um, to your organization and uh, 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 what's your handles? Yeah, so um, my, my personal handle on uh, Instagram is Andy Kane. That's, that's my nickname, Andy Kane 80. That's Kane with a K. And um, if you want to uh, help contribute to Connective Inc., we're on there as well. Connectiveinc.org uh, is our website. Um, we're also Connective Inc. at Connective Inc. on on Instagram. If you want to donate, if you want to come out and volunteer, if you want to partner with us, please 
please tap in. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be money. Like I said, more important, more important than the money is the time. You know what I mean? More often than not, we get the money. And usually us raising money is so that we can pay people for their time. You know what I mean? And so if you're willing to donate your time, that's just as valuable, if not more than the money. So please reach out for collaborations. You know what I mean? We, we would love to work with you. And uh, thank you, brother, for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. You know what I mean? Shout out to you and all of the work that you're doing, man. And, uh, you know, I got the book over here, too. You know what I mean? The book of poems. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Thank uh, you. Thank you. It to Thank my lady, you. my Thank lady, you. she's an educator and a, and a, uh, oh, getting wow. a degree in therapy, therapy right now. And she loved the book, man. You know, she's something she started sharing with some of her clients as well. And so, uh, thank you for sending that to me, bro. I really appreciate it. Oh man, thank you, brother. Thank you, man. Look, man, we look to see some great things coming in the future, man. Salute right. to you and your family, brother. Thank you so much, brother. Peace. Hey, this is Sean A. Boxdale and 10 Minutes of Truth, man. Y'all tap in with us, man. Peace, bro. Peace, peace.